So we're believing today that the word of God, which is alive, it's living, it's active, it divides asunder soul and spirit, joint and marrow. There's nothing hidden in his sight. That's a scary thing, isn't it, sometimes? <laughs> There's nothing hidden in his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. But it's good that all things are naked and open to him because he has insight into our lives that we don't even have insight into our own lives. We behave certain ways, think certain ways, do certain things, where we go, I don't even know where that comes from. God does. And so as we develop that relationship with him, he can begin to reveal those things to us. And so we're going to trust for God to do that in our lives today. This is a, 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 a holy day, actually, in the church calendar that most churches ignore. And, uh, I mean, I'm guilty of that. I've ignored it many, many times. But every now and then I'll pop up like I'm going to do today and talk about the, the concept of Pentecost. And we have Pentecost and Memorial Day weekend kind of colliding together this week. And so we do want to remember those who have given themselves for our freedoms so we could be here in this place in freedom to worship. And that was obviously no small sacrifice that they gave their lives for our freedom. And so we were thankful to those. And for those of you who have lost a loved one, we just ask that the Holy Spirit help bring uh, wholeness and, and healing to that. And I don't know how, how all that works that when we've all lost a loved one and how does God fill that hole, but we just give ourselves to him and allow him to work on our hearts and work on our lives and bring renewed peace and joy. And this, this Pentecost Sunday that we're on, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is such a phenomenal thing. And I want to share with you something. I'm going, to, I'm going to quote a couple Baptists today. By the way, I love Baptists, so this is not picking on Baptists. But the reason I'm quoting some Baptists today is because when we think of Pentecost, we often think of Pentecostals. We think of Pentecostal churches, and we think of speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit. And if you didn't know this, as a general rule, the Baptists, the Southern Baptists, especially Southern Baptists, and, and Pentecostals tend to view things a little differently when it comes to the present-day work of the Holy Spirit. That's okay, but I find there's some power when we think, what are what the, the Baptists are thinking? And there's a guy named Dr. Jerry Vines, and Dr. Jerry Vines uh, said that, that most people, most Christians, and most churches are bogged down somewhere between Calvary and Pentecost. I want us to look at that. Throw that quote up there on the, on the screen. Bogged down between Calvary and and Pentecost. They've been to Calvary or the cross for pardon, meaning forgiveness of sins, but they've not been to Pentecost for the power. We don't want that to be true of us today. Uh, we're, we're here on Pentecost Sunday. We say, okay, God, uh, give us the power. Uh, give us the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say this on the next slide. He says, Jesus's birth as Emmanuel in Bethlehem means God with us. That's a big deal, God with us. Calvary and the cross reveals that God is for us. That's a big deal too. But Pentecost means that God is in us and on us. Praise the Lord. Amen. So good Baptist buddy there, Dr. Jerry Vines, shared those things. What, what amazing things. He said that 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 this concept of Pentecost actually changed his whole life, how he perceived the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that was attractive to bring people into a relationship with God. And he said that we Christians don't need to be stuck 
like they were in Acts 19.2, where Paul came to believers and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They replied, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Many Christians, this is Jerry Vines talking, many Christians do not understand the role of the Holy Spirit, and they have not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their personal lives. So I want to make sure that we experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, and what better day to talk about that than Pentecost. Pentecost actually is a Jewish festival and feast, and it, it was 50 days, it actually came 50 days after Passover, where Jesus was crucified, came Pentecost. Now, since Baptists and Pentecostals tend to see things differently, I read a little story. I read a story about a Baptist pastor and a Pentecostal pastor. That they were friends, but they always argued about all kinds of stuff in the scriptures. And then one day, they're on the topic of arguing about the Lord's Prayer. Well, I got them on that, I have no idea. But they're arguing about the Lord's Prayer. And finally, the Baptist pastor looked at the Pentecostal pastor and said, the problem with you Pentecostals is you don't know your Bible. And the Pentecostal said, that's not fair. He said, he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a $20 bill. The Baptist pastor said, I bet you 20 bucks that you cannot even recite the Lord's Prayer that we're talking about. And he said, you're on. And so he began to recite. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. The Baptist pastor shook his head, rolled his eyes, and said, well, I didn't think you could do it, but here's your 20. Uh, so... Oh, goodness. Today we're going to talk about Pentecost's power. The experience of the believers in Acts chapter 2 revealed that God's partnering up with us. Now, that's a scary thing, especially if you want to be spiritually lazy, because God wants to use his people. And he's partnering up with us to impact the world, and he's created, the, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls, and... There's this brand new creation, this new entity that never existed before. Now, we're used to it because we live on this side of Calvary and Pentecost, but what happened was God created something called the church. The church had never been seen before on planet Earth until Pentecost, and God establishes the church. The church is God's people. If you look around this room, as you look at the people, there's the church. The church is not the building. I know we say that, I say that. You know, we might say, hey, let's meet at the church, and we're talking about this building. But that was a concept that was, you know, not even in the minds of the early church, because church was people. You might be confused if you didn't know that, because you'll read through the New Testament, and Paul will say things like this, greet the church that meets at so-and-so's house. What? How's the church meeting at their house? Because the church is people. The scriptures clearly tell us that the church is the body of Christ, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, and that's done through us, his people. We are the church. That's why we can impact the whole world, because the church is everywhere, and we should be in partnership with God. Now, sometimes we think it's all God. Sometimes we feel like God's not doing anything, and it's all us. But really what it is, is it's all God working in all of us. He brings that partnership together, and we see it, and it's probably not seen as clearly as in um, this guy named Saul, 
who's on a murderous rampage against the Christians. He truly believes with all of his heart. Remember Jesus said, there's coming a day when people will kill you and think they're doing God a favor. That didn't take long because Saul was doing that. He was approving of the murder of Christians. He had documents signed that he could kill, imprison, do whatever to squash and squelch this new thing. He didn't even have a word for it, but the church, the believers in Jesus, he wanted to crush that. So he's on a journey with these letters to crush the church, to crush Christianity. Uh, And by the way, a little side note, uh, Gamaliel, uh, one of the premier teachers of the day, said this about this group of people. He said, let me just give you a little insight. If what they're doing is not of God, it will fall apart like every other one has fallen apart. But if what they're doing is of God, there'll be no stopping it. What we were doing was of God. And Saul was going to crush it and stop it, but if it's of God, who can stop it? And so he meets the resurrected Jesus. It's a blinding light, it's a thunderous voice. He meets the resurrected Jesus, and this has always intrigued me, but it goes along with God's plan. Did you know this? God gave dominion on planet Earth to us, to people. Now think about this. Jesus shows up, encounters Saul, then named Saul, who later changes his name to Paul. He encounters Saul, and he wants Saul to come into a life-changing relationship with him. I've always thought, who would be the best person to lead somebody to Jesus? Who would be better than Jesus? But the resurrected Jesus doesn't do that. He says, go into the city, meet this guy named Ananias. He will tell you and share with you the wonderful words of life. And so Jesus doesn't even lead Saul to himself. He sends him to a person. Why? Because the kingdom has been given to us, and we are his agents on planet Earth. We are his ambassadors, the Bible says. So it's all God using all of us. Saul comes into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. It becomes an amazing church planner, wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone else, and does amazing works around the globe. So God is telling us and drawing us into partnership with him. But in order to be effective for God, I don't know if you've figured this out. This is true for me. I have figured out long ago, I can't do anything without his help. You ever try to overcome a sin? You just get dog determined. You get some scriptures. You're, but you're moving in your own steam. Do you realize you're, you're good in your own steam for anywhere from three days to three hours? And that's about it. It takes the power of God to accomplish any of this stuff. So it's all God in all of us. And so we have this beautiful responsibility, but we have to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us not get bogged down between Calvary and Pentecost. Let's not set up camp between Calvary and Pentecost. Let's go all the way in and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Acts chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 8. As we look at the power of the Holy Spirit, we realize that he'll give us the power to be fruitful in every area. To be fruitful in overcoming sin, be fruitful in our lifestyle, be fruitful in ministering to people with power, being fruitful uh, to share verbal witness. All these things come from the power of the Holy Spirit. And in 
Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he, he is Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We just had a baptismal service. Nikita went through the waters of baptism. And the goal in water baptism is to get the water on her, but not in her. Okay? It's a problem if it gets in her. We want, that's, the Holy Spirit comes in us at the new birth, but on the baptism of the Spirit, he comes upon us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we, we get this power that's released at Pentecost to overcome sin, to live a holy life, to witness with our lifestyles. Do you know Paul called, um, he told, he said some people are coming around and they're bringing their reference letters and their resume. And he told this one church, I forget which one it was, because it just popped in my head. He said, you are my resume. You are my letters of reference. He said, you are, this is the way the King James says, you are living epistles. And we go, I don't know what that means. An epistle is a letter. You and I are living letters that people read. They read our lives. They look at it. And, and I want to challenge me and you, let's make sure the letter of our life is beautiful. That when people read it, they go, I want that. I want what they have. And so we are living letters. And all this comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a key component to winning the world, the power to live godly, to live wholesome, to live a life that is attractive to people, the power to witness, the power to share our faith, the power to minister, the power to love, the power to care, all those things. I want to tell you about another Baptist, Ed Seltzer. Ed Seltzer is an amazing man of God. He works for Lifeway Research and does all kinds of things. You ever meet these kind of people like Ed Seltzer, Jerry Vines, and you wonder how they do all this stuff? You know, they go, well, I travel the world and speak, and I write a book every quarter. I do a podcast for three hours a day. I do, man, I just try to get out of bed in the morning. You know what I mean? And they're like, they've already accomplished so much. Like, wow, how do you do all this? Well, Ed Seltzer's one of those guys. And uh, he studies his job. One of his jobs is he's a researcher, and Lifeway researches everything and anything Christian. And so for the, I don't know, you probably have heard this if you read much, but for the last... Uh, decade or maybe even a little longer, uh, churches have been on decline. But when we talk about churches, we're talking about denominational churches. By the way, I'm not anti-denominational. This is a non-denominational church. But we didn't start because we hated denominations. That's just the way it started uh, 50 years ago. 50 years ago this year, in fact. And so Ed Seltzer said, every denomination in the United States of America is on decline. Everyone but two. There's only two denominations in the United States of America that actually increased and increase every year. And Ed Seltzer, a good Baptist boy, said the two are the Assemblies of God and the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, both Pentecostal denominations. And he says, you know what? It's a good idea to pay attention to things like that. It's a good idea to watch and learn what's going on. And he'll tell us here in a second. But you can learn a lot by watching by observing. The Hall of Fame baseball player Yogi Berra 
Anybody familiar with Yogi Bear? He has all kinds of funny little sayings. Um, not to be confused with Yogi the Bear, this is Yogi Bear. He's a Hall of Fame baseball player. I, I love his little sayings. This one I decided to write down since we're talking about observing. He said this, Yogi, Yogi Berra says this, you can observe a lot by just watching. What? <laughs> you can observe a lot by just watching. Thank you, Yogi Berra. There's a story I heard this past week about a fox, a wolf, and a bear that went hunting. They were all successful and killed a deer. They gathered back together, and the bear asked, how do you think we ought to divide the spoils? And the wolf said, I think everybody ought to get their own deer. And the bear promptly ate the wolf. And then he looked at the fox and said, how do you think we ought to divvy things up? He said, first of all, I would like to give you my deer. And I think you should have the deer of the wolf. He said, how did you get so wise? He said, by watching the wolf. And I thought, it's good to observe. You can, you can observe a lot just by watching. Ed Seltzer on Church Growth writes, one key to growth is for you to actually believe what you have is so important that promoting it to others is necessary. It's a necessity. Fifty years ago, Crossroads Community Church began. I'm very serious about this. It was radical. We had a multi-purpose room. No one even heard of a multi-purpose room. Fifty years ago, uh, they were doing drama and dinner theaters. They did contemporary worship. They had chairs instead of pews. And, and it was just, it was crazy. And people were excited. I hope you're still excited 50 years later. And they were excited. And one of my favorite little stories was, um, what's the lady where I ate the monkey bread? Charlotte. Charlotte and Elmer Lamberg. Charlotte Lamberg came to me and told me, she said, let me tell you how I... Uh, came to Crossroads. She said she ran into somebody and she was looking for a church. And this person said, oh, have you heard about that new church, Crossroads Community Church? And uh, she said, no, I haven't. I said, I went there. They're just all like excited about Jesus and all this and that. And she was actually being very negative. She said it was awful. And Charlotte looked at and said, where's that church at? That's the church I want to go to. And she, and she did. She came until she went on to be with the Lord. What Ed Seltzer writes is the Vineyard Church exploded in growth in the 1980s because they believed everyone should experience Vineyard. He said the Baptists did it in the 50s. They thought everybody should experience the Baptist Church. The Methodists did it in the Second Great Awakening, and it said the Pentecostals are doing it now. The Pentecostals are convinced they have something worth spreading, and Ed Seltzer ends his article by saying this, and that's worth learning from. He said, I may be a Baptist, but when only two, two denominations in the United States of America are having steady growth and everybody else is declining, we should pause and say, why is that? Because they believe there's something worth spreading. Now, I'm telling you this. I was not raised Pentecostal. I was raised United Brethren, which is like a Methodist church. And, uh, but I, I do want you to know this. The Holy Spirit is worth talking about. He's worth spreading. He's, Jesus said this, he said, I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to send another one like me, the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of weird to say, well, I like Jesus, but I'm not real too interested in the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is the one who gave us the Holy Spirit. He's the one that said, here's my substitute. Here's the person that's stepping in for me. And it's better for you that I leave and send you the Holy Spirit than stay with you. So I think we should pay real attention to the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Paul's talking to his young apprentice, Timothy, and equipping him and training him. And he says, you should know this, Timothy that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, when you speak of the last days, most people think of the book of Revelation, which is fine. It's definitely an end times book. When you speak of the last days, most people think about wars and rumors of wars and blood going up to the bridles of the horses and the battle of Armageddon and the, the Antichrist and the false prophet and, you know, on and on and on and on and on, which is all, that's all the book of Revelation. So I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying that's where most people's mind go is the book of Revelation. Paul's mind went somewhere else here in training Timothy. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Some of your translations say terrible times. Some of them say perilous times. There's much emphasis on how bad things are. And then he begins to list it. He does not talk about one war, one battle, you know, one demon. He doesn't talk about any of that, which those things are all legit. I'm just saying, let's pay attention to what Paul's saying here to Timothy. For people will love only themselves and their money. You see any of that going on? They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. That's always shocked me. God puts a premium on gratefulness. To throw this in here, you got scoffing God and then being ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious. The, the word religious, anything you do uh, over and over and over again is a religious act. And it doesn't always mean it's bad, by the way. I hope you all brush your teeth religiously. I hope you all bathe religiously. I hope you all do all kinds of things religiously. I mean, it's a pattern that you do with your life. But you can develop a pattern and miss out on the purpose. So you need patterns with purpose. It says they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will reject the power that could make them godly. They will reject the power that could make them godly. I'm at a funeral one day talking to a, um, a funeral director, actually. The funeral director was a leader in his church. And so this was many, many years ago, and I was having a conversation with him, and so he asked about church, asked about Crossroads. I just started pastoring here. And I told him that we had a Sunday morning ser- service, a Sunday night service, and a Wednesday night service. Remember when we all used to go to church with regularity? Uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the guy looked at me, he's a leader in his church, he said to me, I live three blocks from the church and I wouldn't dream of walking to it over once a week. He had a form of godliness, he had religious activities, 
but he denied the power that would change his life. He said on a certain Sunday, they do a different style of music. He says, I won't go. This is a leader in the church saying, I won't go to my own church if they don't play the music I like. A form of godliness, I think that's how the King James says it, they have their religious duties and actions, but they have rejected the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that exclamation point. See, some of you could change your lives. I mention this with some regularity because I see it's so true anymore. Even the secular world that helps people overcome addictions will tell you, you've got to change your people and your places. Change your people and your places. Change your people and your places. And then we got believers that, that hang around with the ungodly nonstop. They got their friends mock God. Their friends, you know, uh, if you go to pray, they tell you you're stupid. You know, God don't answer prayer and God's not anything. And, and, and I know we live around that world, but what I am saying is this. I don't want to make them my top five friends. Are you with me? Well, you don't love lost people. I love lost people. I'll hang out with them, tell them about Jesus. But I'm not going to have the major influence in my life being people who say, God's a joke. He doesn't exist. He's, he's powerless if he does. Prayer's nothing. You're wasting your time going to church. You, you know, especially, I mean, you're absolutely crazy if you give money towards it. I mean, you, you know why people think you're crazy if you give money f- towards it? Because there's coming a time in the last days when people be lovers of themselves and lovers of their money. So when you want to take some of their time and you want to take some of their money, they're out. And so it's, it's just the truth. Don't deny the power that will make us godly. The power to be godly, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to minister to people. See, we pray for people like we did today, and you may have come for a year and say, I don't think I, we ever did that before. I, I don't know when's the last time we actually asked people to come forward on a specific word and get prayer. That's okay. You know, let's see what God's up to. And another good Baptist wrote a whole curriculum called Experiencing God. And I love what he said. He said, find out what God's doing and join him in it. That's good Baptist preaching, good Pentecostal preaching, good Lutheran preaching, good Presbyterian preaching. That's good preaching anywhere. Find out what God's up to and join him in it. Let's look at Luke 10, because I believe there's a power to minister. Don't you want to pray with people and get results? Absolutely. We didn't take that moment in service just to say, we don't think anything will happen. Prayer doesn't work. But... Something you got to do at church, so we'll do that. No, we, we want to pray for people because we believe prayer works, that life changes, that, that God's powerful. In, in Luke 10, Jesus is sending out 70 or 72, depending upon your translation. By the way, I want to pause for a moment. This just give me 60 seconds for a little side note. It's not my message for today. You'll run into people and say, well, these translations all say different things, and you don't know what to believe, and, and it's too confusing and all that. This is a fact. This is a fact. You can line up the 15 most prominent translations of the Word of God in this room today, and I'll tell you it's a fact that there are no major points of truth that they disagree on. None. Now, you will find this, just like we're going to look at today. You say, well, my Bible says he sounds 70, and this says we're sending out 72. If you study it, the ancient scripts are about 50-50. Some say 70, about half of them say 70, and half of them say 72. So your translator decided which one seemed to work, and they picked that. 
Do you understand whether he sent out 70 or 72 really makes no difference to the point of what we're talking about today? It wouldn't matter if it was 12 or 100 or 50. I, I know I'm finicky about little things too. One of the biggest arguments about, I don't know if I can trust the Bible. Why? Because two different translations said Solomon had two different amounts of horses. Okay, I just want you to know, it does not matter how many horses Solomon had. It doesn't matter. Yes, I'm with you. I like accuracy too. But when brilliant people and teams of them have studied and they come up with different answers on the amount of horses, do not let that cause you to just say, I just can't serve Jesus. I mean, we don't know how many horses, you know, Solomon had. You, you can, because there's no major doctrine or truth in Scripture that they don't line up with. For instance, you read a Bible that says that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of works, so no one can boast. You will not find another major translation that says, we're all going to heaven in our own way, just live good and do what you think's best, and we'll all be good. No, they'll all say that, because that's a major doctrine of the faith. Okay, off my soapbox, we'll read on. Okay, so Jesus is sending out this 70 or 72, and he sent, it says the 72 returned with what? Joy. Ministry should be joyful, but it's more joyful when it's fruitful. If you went out and said, I witnessed 100 people this week, and everybody laughed at me, there's not as much joy to that. But if you went out and witnessed to other people and 40 of them gave their lives to Jesus, there'd be some joy there. So we like fruitfulness. We're not going to turn there, but Jesus sends out 12. We don't really see what the mission of the 70 and 72 is, but we see when Jesus sent out the 12 what their mission was. And I'm going to assume it was the same mission because Jesus didn't say, hey, let's just try something different this week. He, said, I want, he told the 12 when he sent them out, I want you to tell people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead. I want you to cure leprosy. And I want you to cast out demons. That was the, exactly a handful of assignments that they had. I'm going to assume that's the same assignments that the 70 and 72 had. And the 72 returned with joy. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The end game for God is salvation for people. And salvation's a big word. It, it means wholeness in every dimension of life. We could fall in love with manifestations, we could fall in love with healings, we could fall in love with demonic deliverance, raising the dead, casting out demons, uh, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, working of miracles, gifts of faith, all these things listed in scripture, and I'm not opposed to any of them. I'm just saying the end game is Jesus, bringing people to Jesus. He said he was going to make us witnesses, we read earlier, and so God's end game is salvation and the power of God that is within us and on us and flows through us. Any signs, wonders, and miracles that accompany the word of God, which is what the Bible says, and accompany God's people should boomerang back to salvation in Christ. All that boomerangs back. And we see that played out in scripture. On the day of Pentecost, the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in that upper room, and they were there hiding out of fear of the Jews. That's what the Bible says. They were hiding out of fear of the Jews. 
All of a sudden, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are to be witnesses. God graces them with a supernatural movement of speaking in tongues, which they were literally not speaking in so much an unknown tongue, but they were speaking in a tongue that these people, because people from all over the world had gathered there for, for uh, Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, Jewish people, and they were saying, something's going on here because I'm from Persia, and I know these Galileans don't speak Persian, but they're speaking Persian. And somebody said, I'm from Macedonia. I'm from this place, that place. Everybody heard the wonderful words of God in their own language, and they were confounded. And they said, we need to check this out. Peter, all of a sudden, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is no longer hiding. I don't know why I always picture him on the second floor, and he kicks open the balcony door and walks out on the balcony and looks at thousands of people. Devout religious men. Did you hear that? Devout religious men from all over the world had gathered there, and he begins to preach. He doesn't preach on tongues. He preaches about Jesus. And these people say, our hearts are pricked. What must we do to know Jesus? Repent, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. He goes through this whole process. It's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus that brought them to Jesus. I know you get tired of hearing me say this, but it always shocks me because there's some people who say, ah, this is just, they're crazy. One of them said, they're just drunk. And Peter says, we're not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. And you know my goofiness, I've told you before, I picture Peter saying, we don't get drunk till way later in the day. You know, it's just 9 o'clock in the morning. That's kind of the way it sounds like. It's only 9, we're not drunk. And so he preached the gospel. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. By the way, if you don't know me, I'm, I'm actually anti-drinking. Um, I know if you drink, don't just smile and I'll assume that you're with me, okay? So uh, anyway, uh, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and they run into this lame man, born lame from birth. It's the way he was. He's at the gate beautiful. He gets healed. Uh, a crowd gathers, and guess what? Peter nor John say, let me give you a three-part teaching on how to heal people. What does he say? Why do you look at us as if we did some strange thing? It's this Jesus, and he points people to Jesus. So all these power things of God to say no to sin, to live a godly life, to have a good uh, message that we speak. And by the way, you don't have to be a, a learned theologian because the people said, uh, the, the learned people said about these folks, what's going on here? They're turning the world upside down. How are they doing this? And they took note that they were unlearned, ignorant men from Galilee. But, I'm thankful for God's but because that but, but, they perceived they'd been with Jesus. Ignorant, unlearned people. From, so you may say, well, I don't have a Bible degree. I don't think I could witness. With the power of God, you can. You'll just share, and God will do something powerful. So share. Everything pointed back to this risen Savior. Jesus told them that when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they would have power to be witnesses. Did it work? Yes, it did. Acts 2.41 says... That when Peter preached, and by the way, this is the first message he's ever preached. This is the first Christian message he's ever preached. And 3,000 people come to Jesus. 3,000 people come to Jesus on his debut message. 
It works, the power of God. So here's our action steps. We Christians need to visit Pentecost. We need to call out to God for his baptism, his infilling. We need to call out to God for the Holy Spirit. Why? So our lives can be packed with the power of God. One thing I know about the Holy Spirit, too, I learned this from the Bible, he won't speak of himself. He's always pointing people to Jesus. There's nothing wrong with teaching on the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with calling out upon the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with talking to the Holy Spirit. But he'll ultimately always point people to Jesus. He will not point them to signs and wonders and miracles or tongues or interpretation. By the way, those are all teachings in the Word of God. They're fine to be taught. In fact, next week, I'm going to talk about all those things. I'm going to talk about what does the Word of God say concerning the Holy Spirit. And if you want to walk away from here next week and not agree with me, I have no problem with that. I just say don't, but make sure you don't agree with me because of what the Bible says. Now, because of what granddad said or because of what your favorite preacher says, what does the Bible say on these topics? What does the Bible say? And by the way, I can guarantee you that I think I can. If anybody wants to object to that, you can let me know. I've never made the gifts of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit an issue in any of our lives. I don't think anyone's ever felt more of or less than because they believed in or didn't believe in. But what does the Word of God say? So we're just going to open up the Word on this topic next week. So what I want to say as our action steps is I want, to ask, want us to ask for the Holy Spirit and his power. Now people say things like this. Well, if he, if he wants to give me the Holy Spirit, he'll just do that. Now if you were witnessing to somebody about salvation, having eternal life, and you said you need to give your life to Jesus, and they said, well, if God wants me to do that, then so be it, but I'm not going to do it. You'd say, well, the Bible says that those who call upon the name of the Lord the Bible says that we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. The Bible says you wouldn't just let him slide on that. And so call upon the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be afraid to call upon the Holy Spirit. Call upon the Holy Spirit and his power. You can ask him, baptize me, fill me. Use me. Signs, wonders, and miracles could flow through me. Now I know you and I... I'm going to assume most of us here are not egomaniacs. Most of us here are not narcissists. Most of us don't see ourselves as God's gift to the world. We see ourselves as ordinary, everyday folks. So we think, I know God could do it for, through Peter. God could do it through Paul. God could do it through that person or this person. But God couldn't do it through me. I'm just an ordinary person. Well, let that make people marvel, just like they did in the book of Acts. The learned people looked, scratched their heads, said, I don't get it. These are un learned, ignorant men from Galilee, and they're changing the world, but they'd perceive they've been with Jesus. Second thing, accept and use the power of God that can make you holy. It's one thing to have the power of God. Well, use it. You say, well, how do you use it? Just call upon the Lord. You say, I believe I have the power of God in my life. I need help to overcome sin. Paul told Timothy, that I don't want to reject the power that can make me godly. I want to receive the power who can make me godly. So Holy Spirit, make me God, help me be godly. Now, I believe we should cooperate with the Lord. You know, if the Lord says, well, I'll help you be godly, stop watching that channel on TV. I just don't know. It, it keeps coming on. Make that channel disappear. No, 
you can quit doing that and you can stop watching that channel. Cooperate with the Lord as he speaks and shows you things. Accept and use the power that can make you godly. I like to brag about how hard I work, but I do work really hard. I trimmed two shrubs yesterday at the house, and uh, two entire shrubs. I mean, they were big ones too. And uh, when I look at my ability to trim the shrubs, I have a handheld pair of shears. You've seen those, haven't you? That I can trim, and they'll actually trim the shrub. And I looked over at an 18-volt, super-sharp electric hedge trimmers, and can you guess which one I picked? The one with the power. Oh, the other one has this power, me power. I don't want me power. I want that power. Same thing spiritually. I could do this all day long. I got me power, but me power never gets me anywhere. I need the power. Cool thing about, I've got all kinds of batteries if that one gets low too. The neat thing about the Holy Spirit is you don't have to recharge him. He's always charged. And I grabbed those powered ones and said, baby, this is what you're going to trim those shrubs with. I'm not making you do this over here. And so go, go in the power of, no, I actually did it myself. (laughs) But I want things that have more power. I just, I don't know why my mind thinks like that. I just thought of Tim the tool man, Taylor. He always wanted, you know, he always wanted more power. More power, okay. Well, let's be like that when it comes to the Holy Spirit. More power, need more power. The third thing, look for opportunities to share your faith in Jesus. Look for opportunities to share your faith in Jesus. You don't have to be obnoxious or rude or force your way through. Just ask the Holy Spirit, help, help me. Darlene posted something a few weeks ago on Facebook, stuck with me, and I say it regularly. I'm probably going to misquote it, but you'll get the idea. Uh, she said something like, uh, good morning, Lord. How may I be of service to your kingdom? Is that pretty close? How may I be of service to your kingdom? I thought, yeah, that's it. Every day, wake up, good morning, Lord. How may I be of service to your kingdom? Where can you use me? Give me opportunities. And God will give you opportunities and, and be wise with them. The Bible says we share what we have with gentleness and respect. And you may not see anything, but I'm telling you, it's hard telling what all is going on in the spirit realm. When you open your mouth and deposit something in somebody's life, and the Holy Spirit takes that seed and just waters it and works with it, and then all of a sudden it becomes life-changing. I would suggest we do these things daily this week. Ask for the Holy Spirit and his power. Accept and use the power that can make us godly and look for opportunities to share our faith in Jesus. Take a chance. See what God might do through you because it's all God in all of us. Let's pray together.